I didn't know if I was ever going to do another podcast episode after everything that's gone on here lately. But I was uh, walking into Home Depot when my friend uh, and colleague Tony called me. And we're talking about how uh, I can come over and do laundry at his house because he's a super great guy. Out of nowhere, he just kind of threw into the conversation. Hey, by the way, when are are you going to do another podcast episode? In my head, I was like, uh, (laughs) what? (laughs) This is the farthest thing on my mind is I'm running into Home Depot. It's like 9 p.m. at night. I'm trying to make a spare key for my new apartment for my new roommate uh, at 31 years old. I asked Tony, you know, what would I even talk about at this point in time? And uh, he said, you talk about starting over, buddy. It only seems fitting that today of this recording, it's been exactly one month uh, since I uh, separated from my husband. Cheers to starting over, folks. Uh, That's going to be the topic of this episode today. My name is Casey. I haven't figured out what my last name's going to look like yet. For professional reasons, it makes sense to keep Cassidy. Uh, It's a lot easier with the insurance companies, at least. Uh, Having to get all that changed over and switched over is a bitch. And then a part of me is like, well... I want to go back to Corsi, or or the original plan was I really loved the idea of the name Casey Corsi Cassidy, and uh, I don't know, but for right now, we can just call me Casey. 11 years is a long-ass time. That's not how long we were married, but that's when we met. You know, it was 11 years ago this month, or well, last month, October. It's 11 years in October, and uh, married for six in October. Part of my trauma story, a part of my poverty story is I have a huge fear of waste. I haven't been far enough away from the relationship yet to to kind of understand uh, when did things really start to go south. And I'm sure it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of processing. It's going to take a lot of work with my own therapist and friends and and conversations over beers and and runs listening to shitty ass Taylor Swift music that I now finally understand uh, as I'm going through this process and that that's okay but I will say this I know for a fact always in the back of my head there's always been fear of waste and I can definitely see how that would apply to a relationship as well can't throw away 11 years god I actually had someone point that out to me when I first started talking about all this. That maybe I don't want to stay around anymore. And they suggested, you know, you can't just throw 11 years away. Because that's what it felt like. Like, it'd be my fault. Speaking of my fault, I look at divorce and my understanding of that growing up. You know, this is a trauma podcast. And, and um, you know... I'm sorry to keep going back to religious trauma, but here we are. That's a part of this story today. You know, uh, growing up, <clears throat> uh, my, my father experienced extreme religious abuse and trauma growing up. And uh, so when my biological mother uh, took me to church, uh, my dad didn't want to come. And that's fine. And uh, I remember hearing about in the church, there was th- this couple 
it was two separate couples and one of them uh the the husband in one couple and and the wife in the other couple had been um having having an affair i remember us walking in on them receiving like counseling from the pastor on the right thing to do and it's to just come to church more and that'll fix it it doesn't really matter what was said or what happened or why they wanted to get divorced none of that's important today that's been probably 24 25 years since that conversation even took place in that church the the thing that matters is that feeling it's one of my favorite things about a ptsd diagnosis is they don't really give a shit if it's real threat of harm or injury of life it it can be real or perceived I, i just want to point that out for a second like uh because in that moment of being seven or eight years old, watching this couple and the tears and the begging for forgiveness and, and all of those things. And I remember that gut instinct of divorce is bad. I don't know what gave it that impression, uh, but, but it was just this, this sick feeling like we don't do that. Which is hysterical when you look at uh, my family background. Um, I know for me... Uh, Mother's side, all of them have been divorced at least once. I think one person maybe hasn't ever been married, but but uh, dad's side, definitely everyone's been divorced at least once. Uh, grandparents, you know, both of those. I, I remember my dad's dad uh, collected all of his uh, divorce records like that like the like it's divorce certificate like instead of having his marriage certificate hanging on the wall it was as if he kept up all of his divorce certificates and there was there's quite a few when my parents uh went through their divorce you know I, I, I i'm not a parent i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sit here and critique and said they did it incorrectly i do think that it was it, it would be tough for any kid but especially uh in that background it was incredibly tough i remember um, that feeling of what have we done wrong and especially that, that, that thought of oh no this, this is uh we're one of those families now there was something like like prideful we were supposed to be holding on to the fact that that we didn't come from a, a broken home and I, oh jesus i remember holy fuck ooh that's a memory that came out of nowhere i think it was uh, 14 years old and i remember being in some kind of um not home economics class but maybe like a family consumer science class and i remember us looking at some statistics on the screen on the board and and there was a statistic of like broken homes and I remember super taking that incredibly personally because I was like well I'm I come from a broken home who's came from a broken home I guess I essentially understood generational trauma before I had a word for it I remember uh you know I I was raised by my dad uh for for periods of time uh my biological mother had every other weekend custody and I remember my dad, you know, us talking about religion, like that was a big topic for us. It was always a lot of fun because um, my dad was into religious documentaries and, and I always thought my dad had this really fun and interesting perspective on religion.
I remember long car rides <laughs> late at night going to pick up pizza from Stefani's Pizza in Russellville, Kentucky, which by the way, if you're anywhere near Logan County, Stefani's Pizza, this is not a paid advertisement, Stefani's Pizza is probably one of the best pizzas you will ever encounter in your entire life, but we'd be driving home in the hot the hot pizza would be sitting on my lap and we would be contemplating like how Pangea happened and, and Tower of Babel and like all of these really fun concepts. And then sometimes there were some not so fun concepts. And, and one of which was my, my father's extreme fear and aversion to ever remarrying. Looking at it right now, I'm thinking of his mother, Christine, uh, who would have been my grandmother. Uh, she passed away, I think, when I was seven, so, like, 1997. And and the way everyone ever talked about her, like, this is how I will forever remember my grandmother, Christine, is she always sounded like a saint. If I'm not mistaken, she also did not remarry. And I just want to point out, I don't think it's that my father ever thought poorly of people who remarried. But it was just a very personal thing for him. Like, it, it wasn't worth it. It was too scary. It was too intense. And I, I remember always feeling so sad for him. I never really asked my dad. I, I, I mean, I've gotten vibes, you know, and maybe there's a couple things he said when I was younger. You know, you talk about adultery and you can't remarry and all of those things in the Bible. And especially for those of us who come from lower liturgical religious entities in the Christian faith, like it's. You know, that's definitely something that gets hammered into your head. It's very interesting that picking and choosing of, of biblical verses, you know. We can eat bacon. You can wrap your little smokies in bank, bacon at the uh, the church get-together this Sunday. But, but by God, don't remarry. I met my husband when I was 20 years old. I've been living on my own effectively for approximately three months. And I met him. And I fell in love right away. Now I, I kind of look at where I'm at now and it's it's this weird, it's incongruencies, but it's also both. If he takes too long to answer a text message about selling my exercise bike, I, you know, I, I get worried. I worry about him and I get scared. And then at the same time, when I see something got withdrawn out of my account that I was hoping he would have already put in his name, I find myself getting very angry with him. It's both. I am constantly worried about him and angry with him at the same time. I cooked one of the best pork tenderloins of my entire life a couple of nights ago, and it reminded me of how much I love him because I would have because I would have never learned how to love cooking if it weren't for him. And I also hate him. Calling him up to ask him, uh, do you know what my ring size is? Because uh, I need to I need to sell my engagement ring. And in my head, it was the ring I was going to be buried with one day. So I, I, I worry about him and I have empathy for him. And I want him to be well. And I'm angry with him. I'm upset and I'm disappointed. And I love him and I hate him in all of these emotions at once. I'm exhausted. <laughs> 
the thing that comes up, and I, I know this is abandonment issues, I know this is attachment issues, and it's, I didn't, in my head, you know, it, it cracks me up, because I'll have adult clients come into my office all the time, and, and that they'll report these symptoms, and it stinks of trauma, it just smells of trauma. You've got substance abuse or porn addiction and you can't keep a job and, and all of these things and, and your relationships are shit. And I'll ask them, tell me about your trauma. And they'll say, oh, I, I, I don't have any trauma. I just like smile inwardly because I'm like, we'll get there. This, this isn't a race. Therapy's not a race. We'll get there. And, and at the same time, I think I'd always thought to myself, well, I don't, I don't have attachment issues. I don't, I, I'm, I'm a pretty well-adjusted adult. And then, you know, I kind of look at situations now and I think of, you know, my biological uh, mother, she, she left when I was 10 to literally go start a new family. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. So, so of course, as I'm going through the separation, as I'm going through this divorce, you know, the thing that pops up is why am I not lovable enough? And that's where I want us to talk about progress because I feel like I, at one point in time in my life, it would have just stopped at why am I not lovable? And it looks like it's changed. That, that trauma questioning inside of me has definitely changed. I know I'm lovable. But now it's like, why, why was I not, why wasn't I good enough? For us to make this marriage work. Why wasn't I, why wasn't I a good enough wife to, to figure this out, to make it work? Or, or why was I not lovable enough to, to make him do X, Y, or Z behavior? And, and that's, that's the thing that keeps me up at night. That's the thing that I'm taking two to three prazosin or prazosin or however the psychiatrist uh, uh, pronounces it. Uh, that, that, that PTSD response that comes up at night where my adrenaline is going haywire. I just need to sleep. So, um, why am I not lovable enough? Uh, progress. I want to talk about that. Progress is, is so fascinating. And I think we, we expect, you know, especially in therapy world, especially, uh, there's nothing worse in my opinion, uh, a therapist who hasn't had to experience some of the things that they're talking about or that they're trying to help people with. I'm not saying that all therapists need to come from these super damaged backgrounds. That's not what I'm saying. But but trying to coach someone through and, and work through someone with, with some extreme anxiety when you've never really experienced that in your entire life. Well, I, I just want to get to the point of saying um, progress, it, it doesn't necessarily look like, ooh, client was able to reduce suds from an 8 out of 10 to a 3 out of 10 by utilizing three coping skills on a weekly basis. Okay, fuck that shit and fuck you insurance companies for expecting bullshit like that because it's not real. Um, it's, it's the idea of, it, it's just like what Tony said when he called me or maybe I called him and he was asking me about like, hey dude, when do you want to come over and do laundry? And, uh, it's, it's the progress is when I first moved here into this <laughs> home that I'm in now, uh, I'm stubborn and I generally, uh, try to do things on my own. I don't want to be a bother. I hate to be a fucking bother. <laughs> so I decided I would, uh, do my laundry in the bathtub upstairs 
Because by God, I fucking grew up without a washer and dryer in my home. And my first three years of adulthood, of, and I say adulthood being from 20 to 23, or that, that ages of that I did live on my own, you know, um, I didn't have a washer and dryer. Shit, I didn't, I didn't have a washer and dryer until I, I moved in with my, my now uh, ex-partner. I know what it's like to grow up poor. Fine, I'll, I'll do laundry out of a bathtub and, and let it soak and, and let it rinse and, and I'll hang it up to dry. But every time I rinse something, that love and that hate would come up for my ex. Every time I wrung something out or I put something on a hanger for it to dry, that sickness would come up. That, that I hate you. For putting me in a situation that I'm doing laundry in a bathtub. And I love you for showing me that life doesn't have to be as hard as how I grew up. So sweet Tony, uh, sweet Tony's talking to me and he tells me, talk about starting over. I want to point out, we, we get to start over not because we have to, but because we can, because we have the opportunity to people get hung up on somatics and I love linguistics and, and rational emotive behavioral therapy and looking at how linguistics impacts uh, language impacts our understanding of the world and our ability to, to, to understand our mental health and, and how we experience anxiety and depression and all the things you do not have to do anything in this lifetime now I know someone's gonna buck up and say well you gotta pay taxes or you gotta do this or you gotta do that or actually no you don't you do not Trust me, I haven't been able to pay my taxes since last year. <laughs> we don't have to do anything. You really don't. Now, are there consequences for not doing things? Absolutely. I'm going to tell you this. Um, I remember I was working at Nashville at this really fancy clinic. <laughs> I always call it really fancy. Probably other people wouldn't perceive it that way. I did. I definitely did. And there's this woman who worked there. Uh, she she kind of ran the place, but she was also in the process of retirement. Her, her name was Mary. And, and I remember we were on the topic of divorce. And I was like, God, that idea always stresses me out. And this this conversation probably took place, I'd say like 2018, 2019. And, and I was like, gosh, you know, I'd hate for that to happen, you know. And I, I'd made some comment about how like, yeah, like divorce could be the worst thing that could happen. And I remember she just kind of paused and she sat her cup on, on top of her car and she looked at me and she was like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that's true, Casey. I think, uh, I think sometimes divorce is one of the best things that can ever happen. I didn't have to get divorced or don't, I mean, I don't have to be going through a divorce. I don't have to. Um, but that's, that's the thing. Um, I had to choose to. Because I'm starting to learn to live without those rules. The rules that my trauma has taught me that I have to live by. The rules my anxiety has always told me. I, you know, th those OCD symptoms that pop up for me every once in a while. I don't have OCD, but sometimes my trauma looks that way. And, and um, there are no rules. Right now, I would have been about seven and a half months pregnant. I had a miscarriage at 10 weeks. In early June. And my DNC was scheduled for 12 weeks. 
are. These things that, that we plan for. I was supposed to be giving birth to a Christmas baby. October 18th, I should have been celebrating my 11-year anniversary with my partner since our first date. So the the commiseration of our first date. Instead of uh, celebrating, I spent the day working. Instead of being seven and a half months pregnant, I am uh, jogging every day. It is fall. I should be winterizing the chicken coop, putting up the tarp. Uh, I should be looking at um, budgeting for for hay for the winter, uh, for the cattle and the horses on the farm. Should be preparing to get ready for holiday plans with my spouse's family. And instead, I'm making plans to go to Mardi Gras, which I've never done um, in February with uh, an old friend of mine and her husband. And I'm cooking foods that I love to eat. And I'm using way too much fucking butter because it doesn't fucking matter. And I can eat whatever I want. I'm doing whatever I want to. There are no rules. Living without the rules is terrifying and also the most stimulating thing I've ever done in my entire life. There's no curfew. There's there's no bedtime. You know, by God, if it's 2 a.m. and I want a fucking blueberry fancy cake donut from Great American Donut Shop here in Bowling Green, I'll go get it because they're open 24 hours. Again, not a paid advertisement. <laughs> My ex-partner and I, um, you know, when you spend over a decade with someone, there's there's so much there. there. There's so much to think back on. And it's hard, you know, uh, driving uh, down the, there's this little avenue to get to uh, my favorite Chinese place in town. Which I've probably eaten at like six times since moving back to Bowling Green this past month. Because uh, it's just so delicious. Uh, and on my way there, I have to I have to drive by that, that first little house he and I had together. Sometimes when I drive by it, I, I, like, I like smile and I remember really good memories. You know, uh, it's the home where... Uh, he proposed to me. It's the home where uh, we put my very first dog down that I, I or it was our dog towards the end, you know, uh, midnight. And that's the home, uh, <laughs> you know, we made mistakes in and we loved each other in. And then uh, I compare it to the idea of I thought one day we could show that house to our uh, to our future child <laughs> and and tell them like oh this is this is the home where we we really really began to fall in love and that anger and that hate surges back up i don't know what's next i mean, none of us do <laughs> but this uh, this episode was cheers to starting over 
So if you're hearing this and you've already, you know, you're stuck in a situation and you're like, oh, I feel like I can never get out. Or if you feel uncomfortable and you just want things to, to challenge or, or to be different or, or any of the things, I just want you to hear me just for one second. You can start over and not be a failure. I want to close with a, uh, there's a couple I knew or an older couple. The man was the jokester. Um, They've been together, I don't know, like, since they were teenagers, and they were, like, in their 70s, maybe 80s. And I remember being so jealous, like, that's the kind of love I want. The husband was the jokester, the wife, she was, she was quiet and reserved, but they, they could, you could tell that they cared about each other. Well, the husband eventually died. And the wife, it, it was like, I didn't know who she was anymore. She was a totally different person. There's this side of her personality that never got to come out because it was constantly being overshadowed by her husband. There's no room for her. She passed away, uh, you know, not to um, a couple years after he did. But I think of I, I wish I could have asked her. How free does it feel? How freeing was that? To figure out who you were. And I get to figure that out now. And by God, it's fucking terrifying. And it is the most beautiful thing I've ever had an opportunity to do with my life. I am wishing you all peace in your journey. And much, much love. Side note, please apologize, Huckleberry. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you probably heard him quite a few times throughout the episode today. Um, he's adjusting to city life. Uh, all the dogs are to an extent. Um, I've, I've uh, Lucy, Jack, and Huck. And uh, that's the thing, though. I'm adjusting. They're adjusting. And we'll figure it out. Take care. Love y'all. And uh, cheers to November and cheers to starting over.